AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to AOA. Thank you so much for joining us, letting us be part of your day as we kick off a new week. Hope you had a good weekend. What kind of weather do we have this week ahead? John Baranek, DTM meteorologist, will be joining us to tell us about that. We're going to talk markets and economy with Arlen Suderman with StoneX. And we'll talk propane price and supply with Mike Newland with PERC, the Propane Education and Research Council. All that coming up on what is going to be a busy week this week. Tomorrow I'll be in Maryville, Missouri at Northwest Missouri State University. Then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday in Kansas City for the National Association of Farm Broadcasting Convention. Busy week indeed. We always like to kick things off with Sarah Wyant, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications. Sarah, good to talk with you. Look forward to seeing you this week in Kansas City. Absolutely, Mike. Good morning. NAFB is always a good time to see so many people in our industry, so it'll be great to catch up. Well, we have lots to talk about to kick off this week. A lot of uh, tension will be on talks between President Biden and uh, the Chinese President Xi. Uh, What are we expecting or hoping to see out of that from an agricultural standpoint? Well, Mike, uh, this is really an interesting time for so many of us in American agriculture looking to see what the Chinese are going to continue to purchase and what kind of discussions might uh, lead to uh, more of a certainty in our trade relationships. But uh, Bill Thompson on our team was on a call late last night, and uh, the briefing for this did not indicate that tariffs or another uh, round of agricultural negotiations was going to be in the cards, at least in this first discussion. Now, of course, we don't know what President Xi is going to bring up for sure, but when asked about reduction of tariffs or some sort of a phase two deal uh, on agricultural purchases and and other uh, goods, there was no indication that those are even on the agenda, at least from the Biden team. So we may still have a lot more questions than answers even after these talks, but uh, we'll, we'll watch that. Meanwhile, EPA finalizing biological evaluations, concluding that three common herbicides can adversely affect endangered species or their habitats. American Farm Bureau and American Soybean Association criticizing these conclusions. Uh, what do you see as uh, the impact of, of this EPA move? Well, it's very unfortunate, and as you mentioned, both American Farm Bureau, American Soybean Association, they're all concerned about their ability to use glyphosate, atrazine, thymazine. I mean, it's an example of the EPA, from their perspective, not using the best science. And when you look at how some of this stuff played out, I mean, they they cited a couple examples. They said soybean growers are using 3.75 pounds of glyphosate per acre, rather than an actual rate of about one pound, and then also assuming that every seven days there was going to be an an additional application. I mean, some of this stuff is just nuts. And so to the extent that, you know, EPA had to issue these evaluations and now the other agencies, U.S. Fish and Wildlife and National Marine Fisheries, need to come out with their determination, um, you know, this does not look good for the ability to be able to use some of these products in the future in in some areas where there are endangered species. And increasingly, that's a lot of areas. Yeah, and as you pointed out, when they use the criteria that they use to to come to these determinations, it's almost like they're they've already determined what they're going to do. They're going to find something to justify the action. I mean, that that just seems like such a reach to get to that conclusion. It really does, and it's pretty disappointing that there wasn't a more robust consideration of, of the actual usage. So I think there's going to be a lot more conversations about this, and I wouldn't be surprised if there's some lawsuits before we're done. Yeah, you just about can count on that, I think. Meanwhile, USDA's Food Safety and Inspection Service says it will allow up to nine pork plants to operate at faster 
line speeds. This will be a, a year-long trial. Uh, they have to make sure they're implemented with worker safety measures, but I know the pork industry is uh, very encouraged by this. Yeah, they were really delighted. Of course, you know, we had a judge in March who vacated the previous USDA rule, so they went back to the drawing board. They worked with the OSHA folks on safety and health to determine, you know, what might be the best for the workers. And I think they've come up with a pretty good plan, and they're going to be testing it at nine different pork plants and see if these faster line speeds can, can certainly help out. As you know, um, Mike, we have a shortage of workers in so many of these plants, and the more that we can do to automate and use technology, uh, the better I think it will be for all in the long run. We we talk a lot about our, the backup at the ports on the West Coast and uh, the supply chain issues we have. Um, interesting to see this, this ag shipping bill that is kind of gaining some momentum in Congress. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, so, um, you know, there's an interest in actually doing more to try to address this. And you've got people like, um, you know, Tracy Mann from Kansas talking about um, giving people more flexibility to help truckers and farmers, both in this Transport Act. Um, so I think it's, it's really a, a focus on being able to unclog some of the congestion that we've seen and try to get things moving again. And uh, to the extent that, um, you know, the bill could require the Secretary of Transportation to issue some grants and uh, try to move um, some of these processes uh, ahead, get more truckers working, all of that would be perhaps some remedy for what's going on. But as we've discussed before, Mike, I mean, this isn't just really one problem. It's a series of problems that are all interrelated, uh, starting, you know, with a lot of shippers that are sending empty containers back to China, because that's where the demand pull has been. So there's a lot of market forces that are at work here. And to the extent that the government can play a role, uh, perhaps that can be helpful. And finally, the, the climate conference over in Scotland's finally over, long conference. What came out of it as far as any commitments by the U.S. for agriculture, do we know? Well, I think that, uh, you know, the U.S. Uh, decided that they were going to um, kick in and, and make some uh, longer-term commitments, but I, I really the devil's in the details on a lot of this mm -hmm. stuff, and it always is when you get the U.N. involved. And they came out with a new report today suggesting that agriculture is still a really large part of the problem. So I think to the extent that agriculture needs to pay attention to what these U.N. agencies are saying about agriculture's role, it's going to be very important. Because as long as we are on uh, have a target on the backs of uh, cattlemen and uh, producers, uh, you know, the majority of the problem is not in the U.S., but there's still going to be a target. Yep, stay tuned on that one. All right, Sarah, good to talk with you. See you in Kansas City. Absolutely. Look forward to it. Thanks a lot. Sarah Wyatt, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications. Up next, we talk weather with DTN meteorologist John Baranek. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. At Golden Harvest, our best skill is knowing how to listen. From our Gold Series soybean and game-changing corn portfolios to our expert insights housed in the Illuminate Digital Agronomy Platform, everything we offer is an answer to what we've heard from you. This is how we listen. Copyright 2021 Syngenta. The trademarks or service marks used herein are the property of a Syngenta Group company. All other trademarks are the property of their respective owners. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from throughout the cooperative system, from global market access to local expertise. We'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com 
to learn more. For more than 135 years, the editors of Progressive Farmer have provided generations of farmers and ranchers with the information they need and trust to make informed and profitable decisions. We know you need that content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast called Field Posts. Join me, Sarah Mock, each week as I interview agriculture's top thought leaders, as well as farming's most diverse team of editors at the Progressive Farmer and DTN on a wide range of subject matter. From farm policy and crop production to finances, technology, and so much more, you'll have a front row seat to learn and engage in what's happening in agriculture today. You can find the podcast listed on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or by visiting our website at dtnpf.com backslash field posts. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. AOA is brought to you by Synex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, let's talk weather with DTM meteorologist John Buranek. John, I think a week ago we were talking about how mild November was uh, starting out, but now it has more of a November feel to it. Yeah, we're definitely back into uh, what we would think of as fall, right? So temperatures have really uh, kind of gone on the roller coaster ride, and it looks like that's going to continue here uh, at least for the foreseeable future. I don't see anything really through the, the month of November that would cause us to kind of see that change uh, other than the potential for a kind of a trough to sit uh, across the eastern half of the country here very late in the month and kind of keep us below normal. Other than that, I think we should, we should see some swings up and down here for the rest of the month. So any big system forming we should be watching? Big system, no. But um, we will see some fronts move through occasionally. Uh, we will have one coming through here kind of around the middle of the week. And uh, it's going to be dry across the western Corn Belt with it. But uh, as it kind of moves across the Mississippi River, it looks like it's going to light up a little bit. Not overly impressive with any kind of rainfall amounts at all, but, you know, enough to be an annoyance for anybody out there that still has to do some field work or get the crop out of the field. Yeah, we kind of shift from talking so much about rainfall to where there might be snowfall. More and more places, maybe nothing heavy yet, but more and more places starting to get some snow. That's right. So uh, we did see a clipper system move through over the weekend, and it produced some light to moderate snowfall here across kind of North Dakota into Wisconsin. And uh, as it kind of moved into the eastern Corn Belt, we saw a mix of rain and snow go on, and behind it turned kind of into to lake effect snow there. So we saw Michigan have some lake effect snow, and, and portions of Ohio and in northeast Ohio off, the, off of Lake Erie had some lake effect snow. But you know, really not a whole lot in terms of accumulation here, just a few inches, but enough to really just, you know, keep keep everything white and keep everything delayed. So you talked about the roller coaster for temperatures. Uh, we're not just going to kind of drop off the cliff and just get really cold all of a sudden, then it's going to be up and down. That's right, yeah. And actually, we should expect that kind of throughout the winter season, too. Maybe not as dramatically as going from the 60s to 30s and back and forth like that. But, uh, you know, I, I think this winter is going to shape up to be one with a lot of variability in it. Um, the variability in temperatures, though, is going to produce some 
likely uh, increased precipitation across the eastern half of the Corn Belt. So, you know, we've had some pretty wet soils all throughout uh, much of the season here. We continue all the way into fall here. A lot of folks are having some trouble uh, finishing up fall field work and harvest. And it uh, looks like we're going to stay wet through the winter. So next spring we might be dealing with wetter soils. We won't have to be worried about drought, I don't believe. Um, but, you know, we, the wetter soils have their own challenges. So that's eastern Corn Belt. What about that dry western Corn Belt? Yeah, it's it's been dry, um, but it's improving over the, the fall here. It, it's kind of a little bit more than I was expecting, especially in, in uh, kind of the Dakotas and Minnesota area. But they've kind of eliminated a lot of the, the, the most severe drought. is basically gone out of uh, the region. There's still pockets of some, some moderate, uh, uh, moderate to severe drought, but nothing exceptional like we saw over the summertime. Um, we're, a typical fall season here is, is not really this generous in terms of rainfall or drought reduction. Um, and the La Nina season that we're expecting here to, to, to keep moving forward through wintertime uh, sees a lot of variability here as well, and but it, uh, it comes a lot from clipper systems. They don't have a whole lot of, of moisture with them, but they, they come through somewhat frequently, so it kind of adds up They're either right around normal or a little bit above normal uh, across the Dakotas, Minnesota, and Nebraska, Iowa areas. And um, really what we should see is, is, is a lot of that variability in temperatures produce, you know, just normal amounts of, of precipitation. So the drought that they've got out there right now um, I don't see that going away before spring, but at least it's not what it looked like over the summertime. And I was really concerned here when we were going through summer and what the early fall was looking like. Like, oh boy, I don't know how things are going to look for next season. But we see some good uh, reduction in that drought, and hopefully that uh, that'll continue in the spring. Yeah, that's some good news. We're talking with DTM meteorologist John Baranek. All right, let's look to South America where they've had moisture to start off their planting season. Uh, how's it looking right now? Well, for the most part, Brazil has just been fantastic. Uh, you almost couldn't get better conditions going on down in Brazil. Um, their planting has gone off without a hitch. The rains came on time, and while they were uh, a little bit weak to start, I mean, they their wet season really kicked into gear here as we got into October and uh, have been just continuing. Uh, the central Brazil states have just been fantastic. And, and that, you know, now that we're in the wet season, I don't see anything really to disrupt that, um, at least over central Brazil. As you get into southern Brazil and Argentina, that's where La Nina has its real impact. And uh, they've been kind of up and down here uh, through the spring season. Remember, our fall is their spring. And um, their spring season has been kind of up and down. Over the past couple of weeks, for the month of November here, they've been doing really great for the most part. Uh, that far southern state of Brazil, Rio Grande do Sul, hasn't been in the rain as much as Argentina or just off of their north has been. They've been kind of a little drier spot, uh, but that's only relative. They're still doing pretty good right now. Now, the La Nina pattern is, is, is getting stronger. The, the, the temperatures out in the Pacific Ocean are cooling down. And uh, La Nina looks like it's going to have a, a stronger impact here going forward. And so we've got a, a frontal boundary right now going through Argentina, bringing some good rainfall again through Argentina and then through southern Brazil as well. But after that moves through, we're going to see a return to that drier La Nina pattern. And so we don't really expect a, a good chance for precipitation after this front moves through the middle of next week or almost Thanksgiving. So um, they're going to be going back to uh, what they had been. Now, of course, they've had some really a couple of good weeks of good rainfall, so they'll be able to handle uh, a week of dryness. But if they keep continuing to be in this drier pattern with only brief systems moving through for the rest of the spring and into their summer, then they're, they're going to have issues cropping back up. Yeah, that's the key, right? Uh, it, La Nina, kind of a two-sided uh... Uh, coin here right now it's the good side for them they're getting the moisture for planting time but all eyes are going to be on what happens as we move along will they turn off really dry that's correct and over over the southern half of south america over argentina and southern brazil it usually comes with a bunch of systems moving through so la nina usually produces stronger systems so they don't linger around too much and produce uh kind of a couple days worth of precipitation they're usually quick moving um, they're stronger, so they produce some good rainfall, but it's only, you know, once a week uh, or so, um, once every 
few days. So if they don't get hit by one of those, then they're, they're like two weeks of dryness, and that's not good down there. Uh, in terms of what La Nina does to central Brazil, it usually ends their wet season early. We saw that dramatically last year where rain basically shut off in late March or early April when they usually end in May. So they had about four to six weeks uh, of, of dryness there that they weren't expecting. Uh, so that is still a possibility here, but that's not going to affect their soybean season so much as it would affect their second season or safrina corn season. So all eyes will be on that for, for their safrina corn. So we watch La Nina for South America and for the U.S. And what do we what do we usually tend to expect from a La Nina for us? So for us, uh, just kind of recapping that again, we see a lot of variability in the jet stream. It, it kind of locks into place a few uh, a few times, and that what it'll do is it'll bring down some cold air from from Canada and the Arctic for a good week, maybe two at a time. Uh, but then we get the flip side of that, too, where we'll be nice and warm. So um, what we're forecasting and what we've seen in, in years that look similar to the year we're currently in is that December and February are the ones that have the best chances for some of those really big, cold Arctic outbreaks moving through. You know, you'll, you'll hear people talk about the polar vortex moving through and, and big, giant cold shots. You know, last year we had it uh, really good in February where Texas froze and everything, and you remember um, up here in the in the Midwest, we were talking about 20, 30 below zero. Um, that I would uh, maybe not to that degree again, but uh, I would expect another big cold ar- Arctic outbreak to occur at least in February. Uh, December has a pretty good shot too, just not to that extreme cold. And then as far as precipitation goes, um, the variability in the temperature usually brings about some variability in the precipitation as well, but. Uh, it's actually enhanced across the eastern Corn Belt, whereas the western Corn Belt usually tends out to be kind of along at normal uh, precipitation amounts for the winter season. So the eastern Corn Belt usually sees above normal precipitation. I don't see a reason to, to stray from that forecast right now. All right, we'll see how it plays out. John, as always, good to talk with you. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Have a great week. You too, DTM meteorologist John Baranek. All right, up next... Arlen Suderman with Stone X. What to be watching for in these U.S.-China talks and his thoughts on the markets and the economy overall. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend to Max herbicide with vapor grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system. The system of choice. Extend to Max is a restricted use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of bear plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rawl. The U.S. Corn Belt forecast is dry in most regions today. There is a chance of trace mixture precipitation in the upper Midwest and across the eastern Corn Belt states. Rain continues in the Pacific Northwest and snow is also forecast in the Mountain West. Corn harvest continues this week in most areas of the eastern Corn Belt, keeping a little pressure on that market. It may take another week to get this crop put away, but the end of the harvest is rapidly approaching. On the Board of Trade this morning, 
December corn trading three cents lower at 574 and a fraction of a cent. The March contract down three and a half cent at 582 and a half cent. For soybeans, the March contract trading three and a half cent higher at 1259 and a half cent. The January contract up four and a fraction at 1248 and a half cent. For wheat, Chicago wheat December up three and three quarters at 820 and three quarters. Kansas City wheat December up a penny and three quarters at 843 and three quarters. Minneapolis spring wheat December down six at 1044. The March contract down three and a fraction at 1043 and a half cent. The bulk of last week's live cattle trade took place mostly on Wednesday with a little cleanup on Thursday and Friday. Southern live trade had a range of $125 to $132, mostly at $132, $3 higher than the previous week's weighted averages. Northern dress business ranged from $204 to $209, mostly at $207. December live cattle trading $0.37 cents lower at $131.75. The February contract down a dime at $100. $136 even. For feeder cattle, the January contract trading 12 cents lower at 157.60. The March contract down 20 at 158.97. In lean hogs, the December contract down 47 at 75.40. The February contract trading 15 cents lower at 80.40. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rall. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. AOA is brought to you by Synex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, there's always lots to talk about with the economy and markets, and we always like to talk with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for StoneX. Arlen, thank you for joining us. All right. So President Biden and Chinese President Xi are going to talk, but it doesn't sound like tariffs or supply chain issues are on the agenda. That's Those are the things agriculture wants them to talk about. Yeah, you're exactly right. There's a lot of factors involved there, not only including the fertilizer shortages in China holding up fertilizer inside their borders, but also the glyphosate issues as well, let alone the trade issues as far as uh, the commodities that they purchase. They've been very slow on taking soybeans. I know there have been some hope that maybe China would make a, a big soybean purchase ahead of these talks as kind of a goodwill gesture. They've done that sometimes in the past. Not really there. Uh, we did see a sale to unknown destinations announced this morning, but not all that big and not the type of fanfare that, that uh, many were hoping to get. And uh, so a little bit disappointing um, that uh, we're not seeing any emphasis on those issues. Fair to say they feel, at least right now, comfortable with being able to get what they need from South America? Yeah, they really do. And in fact, we saw a big break in, in basis and in freight here some weeks back that made de delivery of December soybeans out of Brazil cheaper than U.S. soybeans. So that's a real concern. Typically, we kind of have the market, um, but right on into January and into February. But this year with their early harvested crop and with some of the leftover old crop beans that they have that uh, dropped in price below U.S. beans, there's some real concerns. And USDA brought their export target down to where I've been having it for some time. Um, but now as I look at the shipment pace uh, and the pace of purchases, I'm concerned. And I think we may have some more downside risk there on the demand into China for soybeans. So what do you see then for your soybean outlook for the next, uh, let's, let's take it through the winter time? 
Well, the focus right now is on these weekly shipments, and uh, they've been strong in November. The question is, will they be strong in December? And I think that's going to be the key. The other focus is on weather, uh, and uh, right now it's very good in South America. Now, we added some new energy to it late last week. We've seen a, a lot of volatility this morning dealing with the soy mill market, and we're seeing December soy mill now making new highs, the highest prices we've seen since really late June or early July. A couple of factors going into that. One is we've had a shortage of protein into Canada. There are some logistical issues that are causing that and a, a lot of demand for protein going into Canada. The other is, is we very quietly had the deadline passed for China to file the papers to extend the anti-dumping duties on U.S. distillers' grains. And there's a lot of pent-up demand for distillers' grains in China that would further pull from our protein complex. The problem with that, though, is the containers needed to ship that distiller's grains if they want to buy them from the United States. With containers being so congested and tied up right now, would we be able to, from a practical standpoint, ship large volumes of containers to China? Yeah, big question. A lot of factors here. We're talking with Arlen Suderman with Stone X. All right, let's switch over to corn. Uh, we've gotten a lot of support. The corn market's had a lot of support from the ethanol industry. Do you see that continuing? I do in the near term. We've seen good margins for ethanol, good demand, and particularly as gasoline prices go up, it becomes more and more economical to pull ethanol into the blend as well. Now, as we go forward, I think the other factor for corn is high input costs. Um, it doesn't mean that we go straight up. The corn, to me, behaves like it's trying to decide, okay, we broke the downtrend. Do we establish an uptrend or do we trade sideways for a period of time? And and while it tends to have a bias to the upside, I think there's a, a good, argue, good argument that could be made that we establish a broad sideways trading range into the winter as we wait to see how this whole fertilizer supply, glyphosate, everything else, all plays out over the next few months into the spring season uh, for planting and how much impact that's going to have. Also, that gives us a good chance to see how it's going to play out in Brazil with the safrinha corn crop. There's been a lot of press lately that the Brazilian farmers should be fine for the safrinha crop because they've already got their fertilizer supplies bought. But there's also a difference between having them bought and actually delivered. And so that will know a lot more over the next 60 to 90 days. Yeah, we've got a lot of moving parts a lot of questions we won't have answers to for a while. And you just mentioned some, the the new one really popping up, the glyphosate issue. Yeah, exactly right. And that's become a big part of our agriculture here in the United States as well as elsewhere. Supplies continue to be tight. And, of course, anytime supplies get tight, you also get people hoarding it. So it's hard to tell what the long-term supply situation is versus short-term supply because of hoarding, regardless the costs are higher. Ironically, right now, the corn market is trying to stay at a high enough level to keep people planting corn in the world. And so it's so far doing that for the most part. I do think there will be some shift in acreage, but we're not really seeing a major shift yet because corn prices have largely held up enough to pay these higher prices. And I think the market's going to continue to try to do that as long as these prices are high. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that because it felt for a while like everything was kind of shifting towards more soybean acres, but it, then all of a sudden now it seems like the the momentum more is about holding on to those corn acres. Yeah, exactly right. And I think China's watching this very closely as well. Um, they, they are going to need to buy more corn. They've been buying a lot from Ukraine. We anticipate that once they've bought out the supplies from Ukraine, they'll come back to the United States. So we really didn't expect them to come back in the U.S. market till the first or second quarter of next year. They might speed that up if they see a tendency toward reduced global production next year. And we're already hearing out of Ukraine that they'll probably see lower acreage, maybe 10% lower acreage or so, due to high input costs for next year. If, the, if China starts to see that that might be a factor in the United States and or Brazil, then they might speed up their purchases of U.S. corn as well. Not happening yet, but another factor we're watching. 
Okay, let's watch. Here's something else we're watching, the economy. Inflation concerns, uh, even though some try to downplay them. I mean, it's hard to ignore them everywhere we turn. Things are costing more. Um, but we watch the strength of the dollar. You've reminded us about that. But also, I want to talk about interest rates. So far, they've stayed down. It, won't there be more pressure for them to come up? Yeah, and let's keep in mind, we watch a lot the the Treasury yields, and Treasury yields have not been showing expectations for a high inflation. Well, why is that? They're being held artificially down by the amount of money that's sloshing around the banking system right now. What do the banks do with that surplus money? They park it in the Treasuries market. So when you increase demand for Treasuries just for parking that money, that artificially holds those yields down. So it looks like the Treasury market market doesn't anticipate inflation, when actually what it's merely reflecting is the amount of cash in the system that's helping to create all the inflation pressures. And while I was on the phone and didn't get a chance to hear the story earlier, I saw a headline that says that their Democratic leaders are now talking about the idea of another stimulus check program going out to Americans across the country, which would add that much more to that. So, and, and of course, we still have the big spending package that they're debating as well, which would pump even more money into the com com into the economy, creating artificially high demand for consumer goods and services at a time when labor supply is tight, supply chain disruptions. It just keeps aggravating the situation, creating more inflation. We don't seem to learn lessons from the past very well, do we? I mean, history tells us that pouring more spending, government spending, into inflation causes more inflation. Yeah, exactly right. And then they, they claim on their side that they have people arguing that this is a way to spend your way out of inflation. That doesn't fit with any economics classes that I've ever had or, or principles that I've observed. Yeah. And again, focusing on the strength of the U.S. dollar, where are we? And let's talk again about the impact of that as we look to keep our exports moving in the future. Yeah, that creates problems, and right now the dollar is strong because our yields are higher than what they see in Europe or Japan, so we have foreign demand for U.S. dollars to participate in our markets, and so that's going to be with us until we see the yields go up in those areas of the world, so investors want to put their money there. Um, we're going to be dealing with this strong dollar, even with increasing the supply of dollars here in the United States, and that creates headwinds for U.S. exports, as we're seeing right now in the soybean market as we compete with Brazil. Real quick, I want to get your thoughts on the wheat market. Where you see that headed? Well, we're seeing a big sell-off today in Minneapolis wheat, but really this demand for quality milling wheat is going to continue to be with us for some time, providing underlying support for this market. Yeah, the demand is there, right? Demand is there and the supply is tightening, particularly at Argentina now planting GMO wheat. That could further tighten the available supply. They may have just put their wheat crop on the feed grade market. Interesting. All right, Arlen, always appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for StoneX. Well, propane very much in the news and a lot of concern as we head into winter and um, we look at it on two fronts, both availability and price as we have these uh, predictions of these high, high energy costs for the winter, a lot of concern. Let's talk it over with Mike Newland next. He's Director of Ag Business Development for PERC, the uh, Propane Education and Research Council. We'll get an overall picture of the propane situation next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. 
But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. We, 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 we are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. At Golden Harvest, our best skill is knowing how to listen. From our Gold Series soybean and game-changing corn portfolios to our expert insights housed in the Illuminate Digital Agronomy Platform, everything we offer is an answer to what we've heard from you. This is how we listen. Copyright 2021 Syngenta. The trademarks or service marks used herein are the property of a Syngenta Group company. All other trademarks are the property of their respective owners. Seed corn companies love to talk about characteristics, maturity, emergence, vigor. Those things are important, but at FS Envision, we've developed corn with some extra characteristics, like attitude, like a fighter's will to win, like the spirit to persevere, because in the end, those are the traits that get it done. Get Envision in the fight for you. Talk to your local FS crop specialist today. FS Envision, never settle. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend to Max herbicide with vapor grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Extend to Max is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of Bayer plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Egg retailers, co-ops, and custom applicators have enormous productivity requirements. With thousands of acres of fertilizer to apply in a short window of time, they don't have time to make mistakes in the field. Intelligent Ag's Recon SpreadSense is the first ag technology that monitors the flow of product on floaters. The technology identifies flow issues to avoid streaks in the field that can hurt yield potential. Reduce the risk of misapplication by investing in Recon SpreadSense. Never doubt what you're putting out. Visit IntelligentAg.com to learn more. As you wrap up harvest and prepare for the 2022 season, get a jump start by attending the DTN Ag Summit. This in-person event will be held December 5th through the 7th in Chicago at the Fairmont Hotel. Learn from agricultural thought leaders, including Ambassador Terry Branstad and John Deere lead economist Galia Barr, and much, much more. Register before November 25th to save $100 off registration. Get your tickets today at dtn.com backslash ag summit. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. 
A lot of concerns, a lot of questions about propane price and availability this winter. Let's talk it over with Mike Newland, who is Director of Ag Business Development for PERC, the Propane Education Research Council. Mike, good to talk with you again. Last we talked, I think, was during Husker Harvest Days. Um, here we are now in mid-November, and uh, a lot of concerns on this propane situation. What, what's the overview from an industry standpoint? Hey, good morning, Mike. Appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's something we watch all season long. Um, you know, I think the questions, uh, unfortunately, are a little bit founded this year. Uh, it's something we've been paying attention to. Uh, we, we, as an industry, kind of follow the energy sector in general. Um, supplies as we were going into fall harvest, if you will, were lower than we'd like to see them. Um, the good news is we kind of dodged a bullet, but we knew we were going to dodge the bullet uh, with, with corn harvest. Uh, we, we track corn harvest and corn moistures and development very closely as an industry. Uh, we knew that we would not see the big usage uh, that we typically see throughout the entire Midwest, and that's exactly what we uh, saw throughout uh, most of the Midwest. Uh, there were some pockets of usage, what I would call normal usage, but we didn't see that big influx. So that was really the first big um, piece of good news for our for the propane supply um, industry, if you will. So. Uh, we kind of dodged a little bit of a bullet there. We saw some good news coming uh, from a uh, temperature standpoint as well as we rolled into a warmer-than-average uh, start to the fall. Uh, so that was a little bit of a reprieve as well. So we've seen some stocks build, uh, some supply stocks build as well. Uh, so, the, so the news today is a little better than it was, say, a month ago from a supply standpoint. So from that respect, uh, if we were talking a month ago, I'd have maybe a little more pessimistic uh, outlook than I do today. So we caught a little bit of a weather break then, as you pointed out, through harvest. But now heading into winter, uh, when that demand is going to be really high for heating, uh, you feel we're going to be okay on availability of supply then? Well, I think it's, uh, you know, I think it comes down to weather. It's a, it's a weather play, um, just like it is every year. Uh, we know, we know it's going to be a tight year. Uh, every year it's, uh, you know, communications key in our industry. Every gallon that comes to everybody's farm, house, commercial business, uh, needs to come on a truck. And, um, gosh, our, my hope is everybody listening to this message has a plan in place. And, and that's been clearly communicated uh, to your local propane marketer, and then you've got those gallons booked and paid for. Um, if you haven't had a conversation with your marketer in the last 30 to 45 days, uh, this is the call to action for the day. Uh, I would I would be on the phone call uh, with those folks yet today if you haven't had that that conversation with them. Uh, I think it's it's critical that you communicate with them just as quick as you can. If you haven't done so. Um, supplies are tight, uh, but they are better than they were. Um, but I think it's a critical conversation to have them today. Um, like I said, uh, communication cures a lot of, of a lot of ills. But I think it's uh, it's a situation that we need to talk about today, rather than you know a month from now if uh, if if you haven't done so. We're talking with Mike Newland with the Propane Education and Research Council. All right, Mike, what about the price side of this sticker shock? Yeah, it's going to be higher. Uh, the, like I said, I think uh, supplies, as we built some stocks over the last month, prices come down. We, we pay attention to wholesale pricing, and we've seen that price slide back, you know, 10 to 12 cents over the last three-plus weeks. Uh, so I think there's some good news there. Um, most folks have had the chance to buy some propane and, and lock in their prices, you know, you know mid-summer, early summer. Uh, we hope that they've done that. Should we get some? Should we get some extreme or prolonged cold snaps this winter? We could see some spikes, and I think that's a reality. Uh, we do see that tend to happen throughout the winter. Uh, on a normal year, um, you know, we think that that's a possibility. Uh, the governments have put out some reports as well uh, that that's a possibility, and we think that's a very real possibility with uh, with tighter than normal supplies. If we go uh, for a prolonged period of time and, and with some prolonged uh, cold weather, 
we could see a spike. Uh, it's not what we're hoping for, obviously, um, but uh, we hope folks have, have locked some pricing in with your local folks. And um, but uh, but for now, in the short term, we've seen prices uh, ease a bit. And uh, I think it's more than anything, Mike. I think it's a weather play. If, uh, if we see normalized weather, uh, those those spikes may not come. So uh, I think we're just going to have to pay attention, and, and uh, we'll see how it all plays out. What about the supply chain impact on all this? You bet. You know, we, we see uh, we tend to have our own trucking internal to our systems, uh, but. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, every gallon comes across the truck. Um, you know, our, our chain's a little bit broken just in the country as a, as a whole. Uh, you know, we're, we're planning for that as an industry. Uh, we've got plans in place, but every year, if, um, if we get into that situation where we go a long period of time, we do um, uh, get into a situation where hours of service uh, do uh, kind of push our, our truck drivers a little bit. Uh, those those contingencies have been made internally, uh, but in general, that's something our industry does rally around. It does a, a pretty darn good job every year of, of figuring out a way around that. So um, I don't anticipate a huge uh, deviation from years past, but, um, uh, you know, it's, it's a crazy world we're living in right now. And, uh, but, uh, those, those conversations have been made within our, our industry, the National Propane Gas Association has, uh, has laid the groundwork at the uh, regulatory level for that, um, if, if that should arise. All right, Mike, thank you for the update. Absolutely. Appreciate the opportunity, Mike. Take care. Mike Newland with the Propane Education and Research Council. That does it for today. Tomorrow I'll be broadcasting from Maryville, Missouri at Northwest Missouri State University. Hope you'll join us right here on AOA. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Each and every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique, original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day -day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crops, cattle, equipment technology, and more. You'll find innovative topics like, would you plant soybeans in December? Experiments look at the possibility of boosting yields with early planting. Want to save time? Learn how through autonomous machinery systems. Will there be a surge in feed prices in 2021? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? The editors of DTN and Progressive Farmer are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today.